0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys doing? Good? Um, it's really good to see everyone this morning. Um, we always miss when we're not here. Uh, but I heard it was... Tom's message was awesome. I listened to it on the podcast and it was really good. Um, just thank- I'm so thankful that that this isn't a church that's built around a person or a personality. That it's not like, you know, that one monkey stops the show. You know what I mean? Like, it really is like a family of God that are excited to gather together and and excited to hear from whoever God um, puts in front of us to speak that morning and to share the word through. And um, I just, uh, I felt like during worship, something I wanted to share real quick, and then I'll get into the message. Um, I wrote this down. Someone needs to hear this. One of the easiest ways to miss what God wants to do now is to expect it to look like what it looked like before. Because the Israelites always had a leader come and rescue them by overthrowing and defeating their physical enemies, they couldn't see that Jesus was here to overthrow and defeat the real enemy and lead them to true freedom. Because of that, they missed what God wanted to do. And I just want to just encourage you guys and challenge you guys that you know it's awesome to know what God's done, but but even better than that is to know what He's doing and to be looking for what is what God. What are you wanting to do right now? We thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for the history and the heritage that we have. But but God, don't ever let us miss what you're wanting to do because we're so expecting what you have done in the past to be happen again. And uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. I don't I don't know exactly who that's for, but just really honestly, like as you're seeking Him be open to the fact that it may not look like anything you've expected before, like anything you've ever seen before, that maybe he wants to do something totally different in your life, that he wants to use you in a totally different way than you ever thought or than you've ever seen happen, and be open to that, otherwise you miss it. Jesus the Messiah is standing in front of them, fulfilling every prophecy, And yet, because they expected Him to look like something, when He shows up and does everything that was prophesied, they missed it. And they didn't know that He was Jesus. They didn't know that He was the Messiah. And they totally missed what He wanted to do because they were looking for Him to look like every other leader that had come before. They wanted a king to come with a sword and overthrow the empire. They didn't understand that their king was coming with a real sword and overthrowing the real empire. And so... um, I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open them up real quick to uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go out of there a little bit, and then we're going to skip over to Timothy, and we're going to end up in Acts. So we'll bounce around a little bit. We'll have it on the overhead. Um, But I just want to challenge you guys and encourage you guys. Have a Bible like, have one that you read that you can make notes in. You know, it's, it's alive, it's breathing, it's living, it's not sterile, it's not some once and done, read through it, put it on the shelf. It's a living, breathing document. It's, it's the Word of God. It's God Himself. In, and as you read it, the Spirit of God speaks to you. And different verses can mean different things at different stages of your life. There's been so many verses in my life that have meant different things to me in different seasons. And God spoke different things to, to me through that verse. And so it's good to be able to just write it down and keep record and know what God's saying to you in that moment and have a Bible that you read that you understand get a good translation Amen. anything but the message <laughs> I'm just kidding the message is great for if you're reading along with a with a with a different version but I would not make the message the one that you read all the time because you can miss kind of some of the stuff that's in there um, through it but but man, if, if whatever one you can understand that God can speak to you the easiest through, get that and have it. Um, and the reason I want to talk about this this morning is because just what Zach was talking about with Wednesday night, I felt like there's something that God wants to do is that it, within this this body, within His people in general, but but specifically here, is to create a culture of celebration and testimony to where we actually are excited and testify about what God's doing, and that the highlight of our week isn't what happened on Sunday morning in church. And it's awesome when great things happen here on Sunday mornings, but it's even better to know that that can happen anytime, anywhere that we are, because the Spirit of God is in us. He's not in a place. He's not contained in a box anymore. He's not carried on the shoulders of people anymore. He's contained in the hearts of men. And He was no longer content to make His dwelling in tents made with human hands, so now He took residence within you and I. And if we really believe that, then everywhere we go, there's opportunity that the kingdom of heaven wants to influence the kingdom of this world. There's every opportunity that when you walk into a place, God has you there for so much more than what you thought. That you went in there thinking that you were going to the DMV to get your driver's license renewed, but you were really going there to share the gospel with the person that you sat next to. And I, I just want to say this, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, so, so please don't hear this in a condemning way, man, but so much of life is passing by while we stare at a screen. So many opportunities are missed while we stare at a screen. There's people next to us everywhere we go. And yet, so many times, nobody even sees because we're so busy looking at a screen in front of us. I'm not bashing technology, but I am saying, please you guys, like, let's be people who are aware of the people around us wherever we go. It's like Jesus, and as He went, you know, it wasn't I don't think that Jesus got up in the morning and God showed him this map okay, you're going to go here and you're going to see the Samaritan woman, she's going to be sitting by the well, you're going to go sit next to her, she's going to say this, you're going to say, I think Jesus just got up and walked filled with the spirit and was aware of what the father wanted to do in every situation. So he sees the Samaritan woman sitting by herself, he's thirsty, she has a bucket, she has a need, he has what she needs. So why wouldn't he go over there and talk to her? Even though it was taboo in the culture of that day. It wasn't like Jesus was like, alright guys, I'm going to go over here because there's going to be a woman sitting. I don't think that's how it went. I think he just went as the Spirit led him and when he saw somebody, he sat down and talked to them. And in talking to her, he realizes, okay, this is who she is. God gives him a word of knowledge, something that that he knows about her that he couldn't know, which unlocks her heart and she's able to hear what he has. Listen, God wants to do the same thing for us. But the first thing Jesus did was sit down and ask her if she could give him a drink. You realize he didn't float onto the scene, drop down out of the sky, and dazzle her with some amazing thing. It started by him just sitting next to her and saying, Can I have something to drink? You're asking, see, it went against all the cultural taboos of the day that a man would talk to a woman, that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan. And she says, you want me to give you a drink? Jesus says, yeah. Why? He's thirsty. She has a bucket and there's water. But he also understands if I can talk to this woman, if I can talk to her, If I can get her to talk to me, if I can engage with her, what's in me can get inside of her. And she needs what's inside of me more than I need what's inside the well, but that's a way for me to get what's in me into her. So he sits down next to her and starts a conversation. I think nowadays... We would be more apt to look on our phone and find out where the closest place to get something to drink is and then go there and have it ordered before we walked in and go in and pick it up and not have to talk. You realize you don't even have to talk to people anymore to order food. (sighs) What a golden opportunity. Like they're being paid to stand there and listen to you, they can't get away. Okay, rant over. And I, I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but I just I want to talk about it in a, in a little bit different context this morning. Um, Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 1. And He says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And I just want to say that like, there's so much in that, and the, the world has taken that verse and meant nobody can ever point out anything wrong in someone's life, and, and people that don't even know the Bible know that verse. Don't, not, judge not. Don't judge me. Listen, when you repeat what the judge said, you're not being a judge, you're being an ambassador. I don't dare to judge you. I don't dare to come up with my own standard and apply it to your life and say, that this is what, thus saith the Roy. That's that's judging. That's me making a decision. That's me being judge and me deciding. I'm looking at the evidence and I'm saying, well, based on the facts presented to me, this is what I believe. That's a judgment. But when I tell you, listen, the judge has already spoken and this is what he declared. I'm not being a judge, I'm being an ambassador for the kingdom. I'm declaring to you what the judge, the only righteous one, the only righteous judge, the king, what he has declared. That's not me judging you. That's me simply saying, this is how God has judged. And it's for your own good. It's not to harm you. It's not because he doesn't want you to have fun. It's not because he wants to ruin your life. It's because he sees the end of the road that you're on. And even though for a moment it seems like a great time, there's trouble ahead. The bridge is out. That's not being judgmental. The most judgmental thing that I can do is look at you and decide that you're not worth my time to tell you what the judge has already spoken and let you continue to do something when I know full well what the Word declares that that life leads to. That would be unloving. That would be judgmental. And so, But then he says, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What he's saying is, is, listen, if that's how you want it to be, like if you want to just make up your own opinions and go around and you decide what's bad and you declare this and you declare that, that's the way that people will treat you. And then he says, for by, your, by the standard of your measure, it will be measured to you. In other words, you determine the way things are given to you by the way that you measure things out. And so I want to, I want to just talk about that in, in the context of this, I believe that, that God is, is building in us this, this culture of celebrating and of testimony. And listen, if, if you can't handle when somebody has a testimony and you can't celebrate with them unless you feel like they deserve it or unless you feel like they've earned it. And listen to me. When people are blessed by God, many times they did nothing to deserve or earn it other than be loved by Him. And we have to get over that and not be offended by that and not start looking at their life and going, are you kidding? They got, or what? They Why would they? Why would God? Didn't he, doesn't he know? And we start making up all these reasons. And what we're revealing is, is that we believe that people should only receive what they deserve or what they have earned. The problem with that is if that's the way that you measure things out, that is what you're declaring to God that you want things measured out to you by. And you're telling Him, God, I only want what I've earned or what I deserve. Trust me, you do not want what you've earned or you've deserved compared to His favor, and compared to His grace, compared to His mercy. And if we lose the ability to celebrate with people when they're blessed or we reserve the ability to celebrate with people who are blessed for those who we feel like have earned it or deserve it, we will cut ourselves off from receiving unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor from the Father. And it's not because His heart has changed. It's because He will not break His own word. And if He declared that your standard of measure is the way that it will be measured to you, trust me, your standard of measure is the measure that it will be given to you. If we aren't careful, not only will we begin to despise the one who was blessed, but in our hearts we'll despise the one who gave the blessing. Without even realizing it. What, did, what happened to the older son? The, older, the oldest son in the story of the prodigal son, why was he so angry with the father? It says he was angry. Because he didn't think the younger brother deserved what the younger brother was getting. See, he was fine with the way that he lived until he saw the younger brother get something that he didn't deserve. The older son never complained to his father. Dad, you haven't even given me a goat. I've always worked with you. and you He didn't say anything to the father. There's no record that he complained or that he was angry. It says he became angry when he saw what was happening to the younger son. Why? Because he looks at the younger son and he knows the fruit of the younger son's life. He sees the way the younger son has lived. And so he sees that his little brother doesn't deserve this. He hasn't earned it. In fact, he deserves the be judged by the father he deserves to be cut off because not only did did he turn his back on the family but he took what the father gave him and he squandered it and he wasted it and he lived in sin and he hasn't even been back for a day you can just tell the older brother just feels this because he says he became angry when he heard dancing in the father's house and saw that they were having a party and heard singing And what he's saying is, I've worked for so long, I deserve what you're doing for him. And because I deserve it, he doesn't. Because he hasn't done what I've done. Without realizing, all he had to do was walk into the house and join in. Everything that was there was there for him, too. He didn't have to stand outside the house angry. He could have walked in, joined into the party, and had everything that the father had given to the younger son. It was all for him, too but because he didn't think the son deserved it, he wouldn't even enjoy it in his own life and he cut himself off from enjoying what the father was doing in that moment because he was so busy being angry and judgmental about what the father didn't do for him and didn't do for the younger son and he didn't deserve it. He wouldn't even call him his brother. He says, that son of yours. The father has to remind him, he says, your brother. We'll lose sight of who people are if we become jealous over what the Father has given them or we feel like they got it at our expense. That's the biggest thing that God's been teaching me for a while now. One of the biggest things is other people do not receive at my expense. I'm not getting because you are not and you're not getting because I'm not. We're getting because the Father loves us. And when we celebrate with those who are blessed and we rejoice with those who are blessed, we position ourselves to receive and we position ourselves to receive whatever the father has, not only through that person, we can receive blessing through what he's doing in that person's life, but we also position ourselves to receive what the father has for us rather than standing outside angry and accusing the father because someone's inside that we don't think belongs there. And see, this is the thing. If, if you believe that, it will invade every part of your thinking. It's the reason why we talk so much lately about never, ever, ever letting hopelessness for somebody else creep into your heart. Never look at somebody and judge them to be hopeless. Ever. Because the only way you can do that is to say they are outside of God's concern or outside of his desire to reach them or to do something in their life. And the second you do that for somebody else, you give that seed a place in your heart to grow. And at some point, that seed will reproduce fruit in your life and you'll find yourself feeling like there's no hope for you because you gave it place at first in your life about somebody else. And the same thing with this is if we start to do that and we start to look and judge whether people should or shouldn't be blessed based on what they've done, if we, don't, if we do that without realizing it, and I don't care if you say you won't, I trust me, that fruit will reproduce itself inside of you. That seed will produce fruit. And pretty soon, not only will you feel like other people shouldn't be, you'll require others to deserve and to earn your love and the goodness of your heart. Because with the measure that you give, it's given to you. And it's this continual cycle where you feel like everything you have, you've worked for and you've earned. And so anything that you give has to be something that somebody has earned or worked for. And you'll have relationships with people where they have to earn your love and they have to earn your favor and they have to earn your heart because you feel like everything that you receive, you earned and you worked for. Instead of understanding that it all came from Him and being thankful and just rejoicing and celebrating with people when they were blessed. You remember the story of the servants? God hires, the, the master of the vineyard goes out and He hires a servant in the morning and then in the afternoon and then in the evening and then right before the work day is over. He brings them all to work and He tells them all before they get there what they're going to be paid. He tells the ones in the early, the earliest ones. He says, you guys will come work for me and I'll pay you this. And they're happy with what they receive when he comes around and he pays them until they see what the other people received. See, they were totally fine getting what they had worked for and getting the blessing the father had given them until they saw, wait a minute, they got here an hour ago and they got the same thing that see we'll do that if we're not careful we'll see people who are walking in something that we feel like we've worked for and we've earned and they haven't paid the price for and if we're not careful we'll look at them and judge and go wait a minute how do they think that they can do this or they can do that or why would god if they've only for when i have for and fill in the blanks with your favorite thing that you look around and see in other people yeah, I know. There are things in the Bible that talks about you know, not letting a young believer be in a position of leadership because they can be easily filled with pride and stumble. I get that. But that doesn't mean that the gifting that God's placed in their life doesn't start developing as soon as they're born again and they don't start walking in it. They're just not put into a position of authority with it because then it can harm people if they fall. And God wants to work humility before he puts them in a position like that. I get that. But listen, don't look around and despise what somebody's walking in and judge that they shouldn't have it or they don't deserve it because they've only been walking for X amount of time. Because what you're doing is you're saying to God, God... I feel like the only people who should have that gifting or that thing, the only people who should receive from you are people who have worked for it, who have earned it, and who deserve it. And because you've decided that that's the standard you want God to use with others, you're telling Him that that's the standard you want Him to use for you. And He'll honor His Word. And it's not His fault. One heart check that God gave me was... Do I love when people are generous when they're generous to me but not to others? Do I love how generous people are when they're generous to me but not quite as excited about it when they're generous to others? Do I have a deep need for things to be fair rather than enjoy the favor of God? And here's the thing. I think at the bottom of this, the bottom of all this stuff is what the father said to the older, servant, the older son. son. He said, son, you've always been with me. All I have is yours. What is he saying to him? He's saying, son, the reason you're jealous, the reason you don't like what your your younger brother is getting is because you don't understand who you are. If you knew who you were, you would never care about who somebody else is or isn't. If you understood the gifting that was in your life, if you believed in the gifting, if you believed in yourself the way God believes in you, you would never want to be somebody else. You can like and desire talents that they have and gifts that they have, and you can actually learn from people if you humble yourself and you can receive things that they have. But you would never want to be somebody else and you would never wish somebody else didn't have what they had if you understood and believed that you have what you have. If you could see yourself the way God sees you, you would never want to exchange that for the way that He sees somebody else because He made you to be you. And every single person He placed gifts inside of. Every single person He created to reflect His heart. Every single person is created in His image and in His likeness. And every single person is created to reflect the character and the nature of the Father the same way Jesus did. And the only reason why you would ever look at somebody else and wish they weren't who they, who they were is if you don't like who God created you to be. And whether you would say that with your mouth or not, it, what you're communicating by what's going on in your heart is God, I wish that I was, or I wish that you hadn't, or I wish that they weren't. And it's all connected to the same thing. The only reason I say that is because I really don't understand and believe and know who I am. If I did, I'd never want to be somebody else. Sometimes we're more aware of the talents and giftings in other people than we are of our own. That may seem humble, right? Like, well, I just, you know, I don't, I don't think much of myself. Listen, if you don't know the giftings that God's placed in you, how can you do what Paul told Timothy to do? Turn your Bibles real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. So this is where we're going to camp out for a little while. How much time do we have? Second Timothy chapter one, verse six. Timothy's talking, uh, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's reminding him about the different things that God placed in his life and the faith that he has. And then he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Paul says to Timothy, he says, listen, I'm reminding you, there's a gift that's in you because I placed my hands on you and God imparted a gift. Now, let's not make that a formula like, well, the way we receive gifts from God is that someone comes that's anointed and lays their hands on me and suddenly I receive it. That was how God wanted to give that gift to Timothy. But it doesn't mean that all you have to do is go to somebody and say, lay your hands on me and you're going to receive what they have because it wasn't like that with everybody. Okay? So, so be careful. Sometimes there's this tendency that we have to want to make a formula out of things and we read an instance in the Bible and we make that the rule and we say, okay, so this is the way you receive gifts. It's someone who prays for you and then you receive something. Well, that is the way it happens unless it doesn't. That is what God wants to do unless it's not. Because it says that the Spirit gives gifts as He wills, as He desires, not as you decide to, or you find someone who's anointed to lay their hands on you. So that, that is a way that God does it, but it's not the only way, and it's not going to happen every single time. You, you don't need the anointed man to get his hands on you. You need for to, your heart to be put into the hands of the one who anoints. And then if someone needs to lay hands on you for you to receive someone, they'll come to you, God will send them to you, and you'll get what you need from that person. But going and finding somebody who you want what they have, you may not be ready to receive what they have. or it may not, God's plan for your life may have nothing to do with what they're walking in. Anyways, no, was a little side note. But, so he says this to Timothy. He says, I'm reminding you of what's in you. Don't let that fire go out and kindle it. He says, kindle it afresh. Kindling is these little pieces of wood that you use to start a bigger fire. Like if you want to burn a tree log that's this big around, you don't go out into the backyard with a lighter, a little Bic lighter, and a log that big and try to start a fire. It won't happen. You'll frustrate yourself. You'll ruin the lighter and you'll burn your hand. You start with smaller pieces. You start with kindling. It's these little things. And sooner or later, you keep adding a little bit bigger things and a little bit bigger things and a little bit bigger things. And pretty soon, you have a fire that's big enough to consume that big, huge log. But if you try to start with that big, huge log, you will never, ever, ever get that thing to start on fire with just a small little match. It won't happen. But you can take a match and you can like light a little piece. And once that's burning, you can lay a little bigger piece on there, a little bigger piece, and a little bigger piece, and pretty soon you've got a fire that's big enough to consume that giant log. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, Listen, kindle that thing afresh. Sometimes the way to walk in a greater gifting is to be obedient with the little gifting that you have. Sometimes the way that God opens doors for the big thing is that you're faithful in the little. It's almost as if there's a principle in the word that says, He who's faithful over little will be ruler over much. I wonder if that applies to our gifts. I wonder if that applies to stewarding what He's placed inside of us. I wonder if, if He wants to entrust us with just a small word that seems insignificant, but He wants to test our heart to see if we'll be obedient to only say what He wants us to say before He entrusts us with a greater word that has a greater impact. What if He told us not to cast our pearls before swine because He doesn't cast His pearls before someone that has no, play, no way of valuing them? I'm not calling you swine. I'm just saying that a pig has no use for a pearl. That's the principle. Don't give something that's valuable to somebody that doesn't have the ability to value it. A pig can do nothing but step on a pearl and trample it underfoot. And if God asks us to be that way with what we have that's valuable, I promise He's that way with what He has that's valuable. Because He's never called us to do something that He Himself wasn't willing to do first. So, He's writing this and He's saying, Kindle that thing afresh. And, And then He says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. This is in the context of Timothy's gift. We use this verse all the time, and it applies to a lot of different things, right? You can say, when someone's afraid, you know, you say, well, listen, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So you know if there's fear in your life, there's not coming from God, right? Unless it's a healthy fear of Him. But if you're afraid of something in this world, it's not coming from the Father because the Spirit that He's given us is not a spirit of fear. So it does apply to a lot of things. But right here, where Paul's actually writing this to Timothy, the context that he's using this in is the fact that Timothy, there's a gift inside of you and you need to stir that thing up. Because God hasn't given you a timid spirit, but a spirit of power, love, and of discipline. And so he's saying, like, this is not something that's timid. Like, giftings in our lives that God's given us are not to be treated timidly. It's not like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I kind of have this, this thing. I don't know. Maybe God has sort of gifted me. Like, I mean, He's gifted everybody, so I'm sure He has gifted. No, it's like, listen, God's placed something inside of me. And I'm not going to just timidly walk around as if I'm nobody. I was nobody, but when He found me and placed His Spirit of God inside of me, I stopped being nobody and I started to become a son of God. There's a huge difference in who I am without Him and who I am now that I'm born again and filled with His Spirit. And I understand that before I was born again, I was nothing. My righteousness was as filthy rags. But that all changed when I became born again and to see myself the way that I was before I became born again is an absolute disgrace to the blood of Jesus because I'm no longer who I was. I am who He says that I am now that I'm born again into into His Son Jesus. I was born the first time into Adam, the second time into the second Adam, and He will never see me the way that I was born the first time now that I've been born again a second time into His Son. And for me to see myself that way is not humble it's the worst form of pride there is because I'm exalting my own knowledge above the knowledge of God. I'm saying, God, I know your word says that, but you don't know what I've done. As if God forgot about the things that I've done. And so, it's, it's, he says, the first thing he says is, and, and like, like, like we, we talked about a couple weeks ago about just about personal responsibility, right? Like, well, you know, it's all God. No, it is not. It's not all God. It can't be. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't stand on a hill, look down at Jerusalem and say, "Oh, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to gather you under my wing like a mother hen does to her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. This is Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate in a man's body, overlooking a people that He came to rescue. The very ones He came to be the Messiah of. The very ones who couldn't see Him for who He was. And He's on a hill looking at them, and He's pouring His heart out, and He's weeping. He's saying, this is what I wanted to do. This was my heart, and you wouldn't let me. So, no, it's not all him. The ability to do it comes from him. The faith that we have is a free gift of his, but it requires us to actually act on what he's placed inside of us because without that, he'll stand on a hill, look at me and you, and say, Roy, this is what I wanted to do, but you wouldn't let me. He's not a puppet master. If Jesus was a puppet master, He would have pulled the strings on the Israelites and they wouldn't have rejected Him. They would have loved Him and received Him as their own. But it says He came unto His own and His own received Him not. He's not doing this. You're not a puppet on a string. He doesn't want to control you and make you do stuff. He wants to know you and you know Him so that you fall in love and you willingly lay down your life. That's what Jesus was saying when He said, remember He said, no man takes my life. He's trying to even then let them know, listen to me. There's a part that we play in this. There's a part I play in this. He said, no man takes my life, but that I willingly lay it down. In other words, you couldn't touch me if I didn't yield myself to the will of the Father and actually choose into this and lay my life down. If Jesus wasn't a puppet on the string... If Jesus had a will, and He had a will, separate from the Father's, don't ever let someone tell you that there's no will but God's will. That is not true. And there's one verse that easily takes that apart, and it's this. Father God, if there be any other way, take this cup from Me. But nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. Jesus so fully man that He actually has a will that is apart from the Father's that has to be surrendered to the Father. That's red letters in the Bible. That's not my theology. That's the Son of God, Jesus, declaring, I have to surrender my will to Your will. He didn't say, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but my will be done. That wouldn't make any sense. He's in front of the Father. He's sweating like blood. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, because he knows what he's about to go through. And he knows that he's going to be rejected and it's for the people. It's not for himself. He said, I didn't come for me. So he's not talking about for himself. He's not afraid of what it's going to be like. He's afraid that these people are not going to see him for who he is. He's going to die and they're never going to receive him as as their Savior. And he's saying, Father, if there's any other way than these people turning their backs on me and rejecting me and doing the work of the enemy, if there's any other way, Father, let it happen that way. But nevertheless, not what I want. But what you want be done, and if he had to surrender his will and yield it to the Father, I promise you, you have to surrender your will and yield it to the Father. If there was ever someone who would have had a, a chance of, we could say, well, he didn't have a, a will to yield to the Father, like like you know, it was it would be Jesus. He was actually perfect. He was actually fathered by the Holy Spirit. He did no wrong up to that point. He was still sinless. He had not committed a sin. The sin of humanity had not been placed upon him. That's why they beat him till his insides were hanging out and he's still alive. Because the ab- ability to die didn't come until the curse of sin was placed upon him when he took my sin and your sin. I mean, you, did you ever thought about that? Like, when God showed me that one year, I had a discussion with someone, they really got angry at me. They're like, no, no, no. He was... He was and I said, no, listen... He couldn't die. That's why He said, unless I give up my life, no man kills me. Why? You can't kill somebody who's not under the curse of death. And the curse of death is the curse of sin. And if someone's not under the curse of sin, they can't die. Which is why when you become born again and you die that first time, when you willingly, like Jesus, give up your life, no man takes it from you. The Father doesn't take your life. You have to actually Give your life up, just like Jesus. And when you die that time, that's the only time that you ever die because you're redeemed and you're born again from the curse of death. And though your physical body is still under that curse and it's going to pass away, you never do because though those who are in Christ, though they sleep, they shall never die. That's what he's saying. Is Listen, once you, it's, it's appointed once for man to die. One time. That's it. One time you die, you get to choose what that day is. You can delay it to the end of your life and your death can come with your physical death or you can choose right now to die to yourself and let yourself be nailed to the cross with Jesus and be lowered in baptism into His death so that you can be raised into newness of life in His likeness and in His image. And you can choose that today. That's your choice. And just like Jesus, you can sit before the Father and you can say, into your life I commend my hands. You see, everything Jesus did at the end there was all to give us a picture of what it looks like for us. Every bit of it. He had to yield His will. He had to surrender His life. He had to actually not love His own life to the point of death. Why? Because He's a good leader and He never asks us to do something that He wasn't willing to do Himself first. So off my notes. So he says to him three things. I'll try to get through these and then we're going to have communion. We should be out of here by 3.30, so don't worry. (laughs) He says power. First thing he says, power. And I believe what he's talking about there is a full expectation that the power of God lives and dwells inside of me and that I expect when I do what the Father is telling me to do that he will do what he promised that he would do. It's not like this, well, I don't know, you know, maybe we'll just maybe and and if it's your will or all that kind of stuff. Listen, those are those prayers, like when you're when he didn't say, you know, Jesus never said to pray for the sick. James did. And I'm not discounting that, but I'm not but I am saying Jesus never said pray for the sick. He said heal them. Well, yeah, but I mean that's Jesus doing it. Yes. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Don't ever hear me say anything and think that I'm talking about in my own power. Well, yeah, but you can't do anything without Jesus. I fully understand that, but I also fully understand that the same Jesus I can do nothing without said, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm never without Him as long as I'm walking in His will. I can get off on my own. If I'm off doing my own thing, not following the leading of the Spirit, walking after the flesh, He's not empowering me to do that. He's screaming the whole time for me to turn and come back. But He doesn't leave me. And so... In Acts chapter 3, it says, Now John, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. You realize, like he expected to receive something? James says, and when you ask, expect that you will have what you ask for. Because if you don't, you're an unstable person, double-minded in all your ways, and let that man expect that he will receive nothing from God. You realize that even though this man didn't know what he was going to receive, he was expecting to receive something. That positioned himself to actually receive what the Father wanted him to get. and says... He fixed his, He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, leaping, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. See, this is, I believe, what Paul is talking about. He says to Timothy, he says, the spirit of power. It's You have to understand that you actually have power inside of you. Peter had to believe that there was something inside of him that was more valuable than what the man was asking for. The man was asking him for the most valuable thing in in this world, and that's silver and gold. But Peter looks at him and says, I have something. What's inside of me, what I carry, is greater than what you're asking for. And it's worth more than what you're asking for because Peter believed that the power of Jesus Christ the Nazarene actually lived and dwelled inside of him. And so he risked making a fool of himself because he believed, not timidly, you realize there was nothing timid about what Peter did because it doesn't say, "And the man's ankles straightened and the man stood up." It says, "And Peter reached down with his hand and, grabbing the man by the hand, he pulled him up. And as he did, his ankles were straightened." You realize that the man's ankles don't get fixed; he falls flat on his face, and Peter looks like a fool. You realize it wasn't the words alone that actually made the man's ankles grow, but it was Peter physically grabbing him and lifting him up. It says, "And as he lifted him up, his immediately his ankles were straightened. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his ankles, his feet and ankles, were strengthened." It's one thing to just say something. It's a whole other thing to actually believe it so much that you act on it and risk looking like a fool because you trust the power of God that's in you greater than the power that's in the world. The man expected to receive something. He didn't understand what he was about to receive, but but Peter understood that what I have is greater than what he's asking for and the power of the living God of Jesus Christ of Nazarene lives and dwells inside of me. This same Peter, when he wrote to the church later, would say, to those who who have attained a faith like ours. Peter. Peter, that when he walks, his shadow heals people. says they would lay them out on the sidewalk, that his shadow would pass over them and they would be healed. When he writes to the church, when the Holy Spirit moved in his heart to author a letter to the church that was to be read then and is to be read today, he says to those who have attained a faith like ours. We have to understand that when we walk into a room, the greatest power that has ever and will ever exist walked into the room inside of us. That will change. I promise you if we'll believe that, it will change the way that we think. That's a spirit of power. That's not me being puffed up in who I am. It's me simply believing that He really is who He said He is. has nothing to do with me. has everything to do with Him inside of me. But if I never understand who He is inside of me and what He wants to do, I'll never actually live the life He's called me to live. And I can walk around humbly saying, well, I can't do anything the rest of my life so that I never get prideful. Or I can understand one time, yep, I can do nothing alone, but I'm never alone because His spirit actually lives inside of me. And he says, love. Power. And he says, love. And I think love is the thing that keeps it from becoming prideful. It's what keeps the powerful person humble. Because I understand this isn't for me to build my kingdom. It's not for me to build my empire. It's for me to lay it down to see other people take up their their cross and walk. It's to see other people come alive. I'm not doing this because I have a need I'm doing this because I really believe that the hope of the world is Christ in me. And that if you have a need, Christ is the answer for every single need. And He happens to live inside of me. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe the Gospel is the answer for everything. I genuinely believe that Christ in you is the hope of glory for the world. That Jesus said, I came into the world. He said, the light came into the world and the men not loved it not. The light came into the world. Jesus is the light. John says, the light came into the world. He's talking about Jesus. But then Jesus then says when He passes it on, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill. So at one point, it was Jesus who was the light of the world, but He intended that Jesus, that He Himself, His light, would take up residence inside of you and that you would become the light of the world. And we have to actually believe that. But, but then when we believe that, it, what keeps us from becoming arrogant or prideful or puffed up or falling into all the traps that you see so many times when people walk in the great level of power and anointing, it seems like they stumble. And it's this national scandal. And the Gospel gets shamed because people say, oh, are you kidding me? This was the guy who was supposedly doing this? No, he really was the guy who was doing that. Listen, David, you could say that about David. Oh, really? A guy after God's own heart? He's a man after God's own heart? That's what the Word says. Are you kidding me? How could he be a man after God's own heart when he saw another man's wife, wanted her so badly he had the man killed so that he could take her and hide the adultery that he'd gotten into? See, if we're not careful, we'll instantly start looking for things wrong. And that's what happens, unfortunately, in the world. But we can't expect them to react differently because they don't have the same eyes and the same knowledge that we have. So all they're doing is reacting to what they see. So when another pastor comes out that he was having an affair, another pastor comes out that he was living this way or living that way, it brings shame to the Gospel because people who don't know Jesus look at him and say, are you kidding me? I thought this was the guy that when they brought people to him and they prayed for him, they got healed. And love, I believe, is the thing that keeps that from happening because love is what keeps us humble because we understand I'm doing this not for a need in me. I'm doing this because I love you. It's Jesus. Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom must become servant of all. How do you do that? By actually loving people enough to get down on your knees and wash their feet, even though you know that one of them has it in their heart to betray you. It's got to be the answer. Because it's all Jesus ever gave us. We have so many problems, I believe, partially because we have so many answers. We have so many problems because we have so many solutions. If you've got a problem, we've got 17 books... And most of them are just psychology with a little bit of Christianity mixed into it. And they say nothing that Jesus ever said. And you can't find it in the teachings of Jesus. You can't find it in the life of Jesus. You can't find it in the teachings of the life of the apostles. You can't find it in your Bible. But we take a verse and we construe it and we mix it with a little bit of psychology. And the next thing you know, we're presenting people with something that Jesus never presented people with as if we found a better way. You want to talk about prideful? I can think of few things more prideful than saying, yeah, I know that's how Jesus did it, but we do it differently because we know something that Jesus didn't. We would never say that with our mouths, but we'll say it with our lives when we prescribe things other than the Gospel as the answer because that was the only answer Jesus ever gave people. Sits with the woman at the well. We talked about it earlier, right? She's got all these problems. She's seeing all these men. I don't have a husband. You've spoken truthfully. The man you're with right now is not your husband. You've been married five times before. This is a slam dunk for psychological healing. You don't trust men because your father wasn't there for you and so you've been looking to be received and loved by a man and so you keep going from husband to husband to husband looking for the love your father should have gave you. You have to go back in time and heal the person that I came to kill so that the person I came to give life to can be okay. That's not what Jesus said. He looked there and said, you're looking for me and once you have me you'll never go looking for in another man because you'll never be thirsty again because i am the water that brings life and when you have me everything that you've been searching for you've found why would we give people any other answer than that how dare we and i don't th- i'm not this isn't to put down anything i believe that, that there's a great need for christian counseling but i believe christian counseling should be listening to what people have to say and then giving them the gospel in return because that's what jesus did i i will run the risk of getting to heaven and finding out there was a better way than what jesus did i'll take that risk i'll take the risk that one day when i get to heaven god will look at me and say well why didn't you do it the way that so and so did it that was way better than the way jesus did it i'm willing to take that chance and be wrong It's just the truth. Sometimes I get off on these little tangents, but... Truly loving people means that people aren't a way for me to get somewhere that I want to go. Like I've... I want to tell you guys this because I was talking to somebody about this and they said, man, you should tell the church that because I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor say that. I don't see this church as an opportunity for me to get somewhere. I don't see any of you guys as an opportunity to serve me or to build my vision or my kingdom or to make me known. I don't see this as a stepping stone. This isn't like the minor leagues. And I'm just waiting for the big leagues to call me up. I've had offers like since I've been pastoring here. Honestly, people have asked me, would you come here and be the pastor? Would you come here and take this position? I'm not interested in that. Because you guys aren't a way for me to get somewhere. You're the reason that God made me who I am. I believe that firmly. I believe that I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do for exactly who He's called me to do it for. And I have no intentions ever of using anybody in this room to get somewhere. The longer I pastor, all I want to do is just lift other people up and see them put in positions where they can be who God created them to be. Yeah, it can't happen here for everybody, but it can happen there for everybody somehow. But love is the thing that keeps that in check. Love is the thing that keeps you from being prideful. Love is the thing that keeps you from a little bit of power making you think that you're something that you're not. Loving his father is what made David able to submit to his brothers even after he was anointed king right in front of them. And his dad said, David, I want you to bring lunch to your brothers. It has been real easy for King David to say, they should be bringing me lunch. But see, he didn't have another word yet from God. He only had the one word that he was working under that that had guided him his whole life, which was honor your father. It's the reason he was in the sheepfold. It's the reason he learned all the things he needed to learn when he was king. And God never came to him and said, David, I want to teach you things that you're going to need when you're a king, so go out into the sheepfold so I can teach you. He told him, honor your father, and his father told him to go watch sheep. But because he was obedient to the one word that he knew, it put him in position to learn all the things he needed to learn, and it put him in position to be able to receive and be the person that God created him to be. But God never gave him a different word after he got anointed king. He anoints him king, he goes right back out to the field. His dad says, go serve your brother's lunch. King David serves his brother's lunch and ends up right where he needs to be to kill Goliath. he says, discipline. You know what? Actually, let's save that one for next week. See, I want to talk a lot about that one. I do. Because I think that word's been so misunderstood and I think it's been so abused that it's become something that people are afraid of and it gets taken out of context. But there's an amazing side to being a disciplined person that's beautiful and that unlocks so much. And so I don't want to get through it quickly because we're going to take up communion now. Um, So if our elders can start getting the communion stuff ready... Yeah, you could play, that'd be great. I just want to encourage every single one of you guys here that, that literally like, if you don't value who God's created you to be, if you don't value what He's placed inside of you, if you think you need to be or receive something else in order to be or in order to feel or in order for all this stuff to happen, I would just encourage you this week, get alone with God and just ask Him to show you who you are. Get alone with the Father. Don't listen to a podcast. Don't try to read a book. Don't try to discover through other people. Just get alone with Him and say, God, You created me and You said that I'm amazing and You said that You placed Your Spirit inside of me and so there must be something that I don't see. I want to see myself the way that You see me. I want to value everything that You've placed inside of me and I feel like right now I don't even see what You've placed inside of me so I can't even value it properly. But God, I'm finding myself looking around at other people and wishing they didn't have things that I have, or that they have. Or I'm finding myself wishing that I was somebody else. Or I'm finding myself wishing I had something more than what You've given me. And God, I just want to know what You created me and who You created me to be so that I can value myself the way that You value me so that I'll never ever look at somebody else that's blessed and think that they're blessed because I'm not. I want to be able to rejoice with every single person. I want to be able to honor a prophet in the name of a prophet so that I receive his reward. Like seriously, if you're not excited, if you don't have a spirit of power inside of you that's excited about who God made you to be, get alone with Him and ask Him. He'll show it to you. He's so much more committed to you becoming the person He created you to be than you are. You're not begging Him to do something He doesn't want to do. You're simply giving Him permission to speak something He's been wanting to speak and been waiting for you to want to receive. promise so we're going to take communion up and we talk about this about every time we take communion because i think there's just been so much that's been said about communion that i'm not sure about but i am sure of this paul said if you would judge yourselves rightly because you don't judge yourselves rightly many among you are sick or even sleep he's talking about die. Say, because you don't judge the body rightly. And he said, you have to judge yourself. And so that has been taught to people over time. If we're not careful, that message has literally been taught to people that, you know, before you take communion, you have to check your heart and make sure that there's not any sin there. And if you have any sin, you better make sure you confess it before you take communion. Otherwise, you're taking communion unworthily. You know, let me tell you something that is the most unworthy way that you could ever receive communion ever because you're saying my worth to receive communion is based on my actions and not the actions of jesus the only thing you have to examine yourself for and examine your heart for before you receive communion worthily is this am i in christ am i born again have i received the gift of the holy spirit inside of me has i become a new creation has the blood of jesus really covered every single sin has god really forgiven all my sins and is remembering them no more That's the only question that we have to ask ourselves because the only way to receive it unworthily is if you come up here and you received it based on your own actions, your own merit, because on your own, you are never worthy to receive that. But if you're in Christ, you are always worthy, not because of your own actions, but because He made you worthy. Because He became sin who knew no sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't act sinful so you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous and who God has called holy, let no man call unclean. It says, don't you know the temple of God is holy? And that is what you are. That's God. that, That is the Word of God letting you know that you are holy. And if God has called you unholy, let no man and especially yourself call you unclean. So just take a second, and, and, and we're going to give you a chance to respond real quick. If you have never, ever, ever yielded your life into His hands, if you've never followed the leading and the lordship of Jesus and said, Father, into your life I place my hands, if you've never surrendered your life so that you could be a new creation in Christ, born again, and Jesus actually, that you come off the throne of your life and Jesus take His rightful place on the throne. If you've never done that before, you can do that right now and you can receive communion with the rest of this family as worthy as Jesus. Is there anyone here that wants to do that? It's an amazing thing. It's, I don't have everyone drop their heads and close their eyes because man, I think it's exciting and we'd all want to see it if someone was going to do it. No, I'm serious. Look, Jesus said like, (laughs) it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like all you would say is, you know what? I've been the king of my life and I realize that I would like to surrender my life to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. I want to accept the fact that He died on a cross for my sins and I want every single drop of blood that was dripped to the ground to fall on me and not be wasted and I want to live the rest of my life a new creation in Christ. That's all we're saying. Yeah, so we're all family. Good. Stand up right where you are. We're going to come up the middle aisles. We'll come up the middle, we'll grab our communion stuff, and then we'll go back out the outward aisles, go back to our seats, and everyone will wait. But listen to me. Don't you dare not come up here because, well, you know, I I think I lied last week. Because what you're saying then is my worth to receive communion is based on my actions and my merit. The only thing that would stop anyone from coming and receiving worthily is that they're not a born-again, new creation in Christ. If you are, God calls you holy. Let no man ever call you unclean. Not your own mind, not the devil, not anybody else. So yeah, we'll start in the back. You guys want to just start coming up? Yep, I think you're the back, Zach. Yeah, just come on up. Just come as quickly as you can. we'll, we'll, we'll try to make this as fast as possible so we can all get together and, and take communion together. Um, we, we don't do the stale cracker. We, we, we have people that come here that love to bake, and, and they bake us awesome banana bread, and so we eat banana bread together and taste and see that the Lord is good. Because there is a somber part to this, right? Like we're remembering the death of Jesus But we can't stay somber because when we remember His death, the next thing that comes into our mind is but He didn't stay dead. And He's alive. And we celebrate the risen Christ. So Jesus does this the first time. He says He's letting the the disciples know there's something new coming. They didn't even know what the new covenant was at that time. He says this blood is a new covenant in My name. In other words, what was is passing away and what is coming is me and it's in my name. And he says, this is what this is. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. What we do when we drink this together, this juice together, is we're remembering that the blood of Jesus was shed to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And He took the bread, it says, and He broke it. After He gave thanks, He gave it to them and said, this is My body broken for you. And we know that it says in the book of Isaiah that He was wounded for our transgressions, that the, that the penalty of our sin was upon Him, and that by His stripes we're healed. They laid the stripes on His back for our healing. And He said, this is My body broken for you. They hadn't seen Him beaten. They didn't know what He was talking about at that point. But they would one day see Him be beaten for them and they would understand this is what He was talking about when He said, this is My body broken for you. And by His stripes we're healed. When we eat this bread together we're remembering that the body of Jesus was broken for us. That yes, His blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness, but there was more than just His blood. There was His body broken. That He was beaten for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by His stripes, we're healed. If you need healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, any kind of healing in your body and in your mind today, there's healing in the body of Jesus and an understanding that He gave Himself up for you. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, many don't rightly discern the body. Most churches in America, most believers everywhere, rightly discern the blood. We get that His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, but many of us don't rightly discern the body. He says, and because of this, many of you are sick or even sleep. That's Paul. Because you don't understand there was more than just being forgiven of your sins that was paid for at Calvary. There was more than just going to heaven one day when you die that was purchased by the beating of His body and the shedding of His blood. That He died that we could be completely redeemed.